broadcasting live from the Zimmer Communications World Headquarters. This is Wake Up Mid-Missouri. Get ready, pal. Here's your host, Randy Tobler. Well, they're on the heels of the announcement of the uh, consensus bipartisan Senate bill that is apparently on the table. Uh, We thought we'd try to help you unpack that, and there's no one better to do that than Andrew Arthur, who is uh, from the Center for Immigration Studies, former uh, asylum judge, right? Uh, Immigration judge, right, Art? Yeah, that's correct. I was an immigration judge and a congressional staffer, so I've negotiated a lot of bills in my time. All right, and there's a great piece up, uh, just fresh up on uh, on this yesterday evening on the Center for Immigration Studies, folks. If you want to, you know, look further into it, cis dot org. By my guest Andrew Arthur, uh, the good and a lot of bad you say in the Senate border deal. Uh, let's start with any good, because most of us look at it and go. Where's the good? Can't find any. Let's start and give them a little add a boy and add a girl Christian cinema if that's in order. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that this bill does that's good is it raises the screening standard for migrants who make uh, asylum claims at the southwest border. It, probably by now your listeners are familiar with the term called credible fear when aliens show up illegally at the southwest border. Uh, you know, we don't determine whether uh, they are eligible for asylum per se, but whether they may be eligible for asylum. And this bill does raise that credible fear standard to a reasonable fear standard. So basically, it's the same screening standard that we would apply to their underlying asylum claims. That's the good. And more or less, that's where the good ends in this bill. All right. So last night on Jesse Waters, who, of course, is an authority on immigration matters. <laughs> uh, <laughs> He he made the, the the play that somehow there's well it's I guess it's in the bill that there's going to be a new uh, group of people called asylum agents or something who are I guess going to in a way assist in this screening procedure and that all the they're only going to ask three questions and if the answer is I'm afraid I'm afraid I'm afraid from where I came from uh, the door is open is that is that an overstatement of the truth. It's an overstatement, but it's not a gross overstatement of the truth. Right now, when Border Patrol agents pick up uh, aliens at the southwest border, they ask them a series of questions. And the last one is, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to go home? And if they answer that question in the affirmative, they get handed over to asylum officers at uh, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. It's important to note, Doctor, that they're only about... Uh, 770 asylum officers already, and you're talking about 5,000 people per day, so you can do the math and more or less figure out how that goes. But the change in this bill is that right now, all of those people, or nearly all of those people who pass that credible fear screening go to immigration judges. They go to immigration court where there's a government attorney to cross-examine the alien and offer impeachment evidence, country conditions evidence, things like that. Under the scheme that uh, this bill would set up, those immigration judges would be replaced by asylum officers who don't even have to be lawyers, and many of them aren't uh, right now. And they would do a uh, non-adversarial interview to determine whether those people have asylum claims. Needless to say, the likelihood that uh, aliens would 
uh, with bogus or fraudulent claims would get through that system and be granted asylum and, you know, then be put on a path to citizenship with the ability to uh, immigrate their brothers and sisters to this country and nieces and nephews is much higher under that process. And in fact, uh, the Biden administration has attempted to, uh, by regulation, implement a very similar process. A, a number of states, including, I believe, Missouri, uh, are suing to shut down that uh, regulatory process that the Biden administration has created, in part because it's just shot through with opportunities for fraud. So it doesn't really make any sense whatsoever that at the same time, a number of attorneys general, including the attorneys general of Kentucky, where Mitch McConnell's from, and Oklahoma, of course, where Jim Langford is from, would you know put this on the table as a new statute. But there you have it. All right. We're talking with Andrew Arthur from Center for Immigration Studies, uh, an immigration expert uh, intimately involved in the whole process of this asylum nonsense. Uh, in your piece, you say that this doesn't close the loopholes. Um, family units, you talked about, uh, you know, the, the chain immigration thing. Now, uh, to me, it's it appears just on my, I, I haven't been able to read the whole bill, the 300 some odd pages. It appears as though this codifies a new normal that is unacceptable from the very start, Andrew. I mean, if you think about it, when Jay Johnson was Obama. Uh, Obama's Department of Homeland Security uh, uh, secretary, he called a thousand a day a problem. And this one seems to make it uh, something that the bar is now 5,000 a day on average is acceptable. Is uh, Langford said, oh, you're not meeting, reading this right. Kristen Sinema on the, the Talking Heads show the other day said the same thing. Who's right here? Is this raising the bar of what's acceptable or not? Yeah, no, it, it's definitely raising the bar from what's acceptable, Randy. And let me just quantify this for you because I don't want to make you know vague statements without supporting them. In the 14 years prior to Joe Biden taking office, we had an average of about 1,200 aliens uh, encountered at the southwest border every day. Now, there were a couple of years in there where that jumped up to about 2,300. Uh, 2019, most famously, is 2,332 per day. This would allow 5,000 people to enter the United States illegally before the president would be forced to shut down the border. Now, keep in mind, the president already has the authority. You know, Mike Johnson talked about this a lot. He already has the authority under um, Section 212F of the Immigration Nationality Act to shut down the border anytime he wants, for as long as he wants. And there's very little that anybody can do about it. The president won't use that authority. So, you know, for some reason, Congress has given him, you know, a brand new authority at that 5,000 level to shut things down. 5,000 people is 1.825 million aliens per year or 1.83 during a leap year. So, you know, that'll really give you an idea of, you know, how many people this would countenance entering the United States illegally. Legally, Randy, we only allow about a million people in per year with green cards. Of course, we get about 188 million non-immigrants, visitors and things like that. But those people who can stay permanently, it's just about a million. This would almost double the number of people uh, you know, who could enter illegally compared to the number who are allowed to enter legally. Uh, we, we heard about we heard about how these people who are, I guess, given credible asylum claim status uh, will be monitored. I mean, rather than just set loose and, you know, here's a yellow uh, uh, ticket, come back to your court date five years from now. 
we heard we hear about in some of the reporting ankle bracelets and so forth. Is that real or is that a, again just a something that people are making up? So, with respect to adults who get released after making asylum, we'll just call them asylum claims, just to make it simple, uh, those people are subject to alternatives to detention. Now, at times, that is ankle bracelets. But in most cases, that is simply, uh, you know, call-in monitoring. You know, much like if you get released on probation, you got to call into your probation officer. That's really the sort of uh, you know, non-incarceration uh, detention that this bill calls for. And remember, Randy, the current standard, the current law is all of those people are supposed to be detained. It's because the Biden administration has refused to comply with that detention standard that, you know, Congress is, you know, forced to act, basically uh, uh, justifying bad behavior. You know, the Biden administration has behaved so badly for the last three years that we're basically giving them and the aliens a benefit. So that's probably the best way to think about what's going on here. Now, you know, in the times we've talked before, I continue to look at this situation and I liken it to a, a problem from the very get-go. We we seem to be arguing, always discussing about how how are we going to handle these asylum claims? I mean, is economic asylum a legitimate thing? I keep asking that. And apparently, you know, I mean, some people say yes, some people... But then you look at what Abbott is doing, and, and by putting razor wire on top of shipping containers, it it's a moot point. They just don't come in. And I was telling my wife the other day, it was warming up, and all of a sudden I was seeing these little Asian beetles coming in because I hadn't sprayed the perimeter of my window frames with the right pesticide. And I was thinking, you know, is there is there any kind of just any kind of enforcement? And, and I know they're they're putting a little bit towards a wall, but is it within current law or jurisdiction to to just not even encounter an agent except at ports of entry and just, you know, keep them from crossing the Rio Gand in the first place and saying, bye bye, turn around? Or is that a pipe dream that I have? No, in fact, that is the law. The uh, Secretary of Homeland Security is under two separate mandates, one in the uh, Immigration Nationality Act, one in the Secure Fence Act in 2006, which, by the way, Senator Joe Biden voted for, uh, that requires the Secretary of Homeland Security to prevent the entry of illegal aliens. And deterrence is the rule. Deterrence is the directive, the mandate of Border Patrol. But unfortunately, ever since Joe Biden took office, the Biden administration has prevented Border Patrol agents from deterring aliens from entering the United States legally. When you see that concertina wire barrier along the uh, southwest border that Texas has put up, the reason that they put it up is to deter people from crossing legally. Official Biden administration policy is if you have an asylum claim, you're supposed to go to the courts, which is exactly what that razor wire does in Eagle Pass, Texas, which is what you're referring to. Look, you can cross at the ports. Texas isn't going to do anything to you. You can't cross the river illegally. And yet at the same time, this is the official Biden administration policy. As you know, the Biden administration is suing Texas to remove that razor wire barrier uh, down in Eagle Pass, Maverick County, Texas. So, yeah, none of this makes sense. The Biden administration speaks out of both sides of its mouth, and the president does, too, when he's like, if you just give me this authority, you know, I'll secure the border. Well, no, we don't have to do that. We don't negotiate with terrorists or hostage takers in this country. We force people to do their jobs. Part of the impeachment that's going on of Secretary Mayorkas in the House, which is exceptional at the same time this negotiation is going on, 
is that the that the secretary has refused to do that. In fact, that is the basis of it. The courts have said you can't come to the courts to force the secretary to uh, enforce the law. If you want to force him to enforce the law, you can either shut down the government or impeach the secretary. They've chosen to impeach the secretary. What's the president's authority as it now stands to use either the National Guard or the armed forces to secure the border? Well, honestly, so, you know, as commander in chief, we've law, the president has long sent troops to the border to monitor the border. They don't have the ability to arrest anybody. They don't have arrest authority. But, you know, so long as we have Border Patrol agents out there who are free to do their jobs, you know, they can prevent those people from coming into the country. And if need be, we can send, you know, other federal officers down there who do have that arrest authority. Texas is helping out by arresting people. Texas state troopers are peace officers under Texas law, and they can arrest people who enter the United States illegally as well. And CBP is grateful for their help no matter what you hear. But, yeah, I mean, the president has all the tools that he needs in order to secure the border, Randy. What he doesn't have is the will to secure the border. And Congress can't actually legislate will. So, you know, instead they've attempted to, you know, come up with this Rube Goldberg machine uh, that will supposedly make things better. It's actually going to make it harder for a future administration, Mm -hmm. be it Donald Trump or Nikki Haley or anybody else uh, who comes next to enforce the border, to use those tools that the president already has. Wow, man, I just, I, well, I, I'm going to take this as an endorsement of the dead on arrival, uh, uh, you know, mandate. Mandate. I think that's the what we just need to keep repeating, Andrew. There's no doubt about it. There's just nothing in here except just a little nibble of something improvement-wise. But like you say, we don't want to hand-tie these people that in the, they already have the authority to do what they need to do. It's crazy. Hey, uh, folks, uh, look at uh, Andrew's article at CIS.org, CIS.org. Uh, my guest, Andrew Arthur, it's a great, great uh unpacking of the very complex bill it doesn't need to be that way right art no it doesn't need to be 370 (laughs) pages you could write this on the back of a postcard (laughs) all right hey love it thanks so much we'll be staying in touch and keeping an eye on cis.org and uh your your writing on this thank you thank you so much Todd. all right there he is andrew arthur well there it is what can you say i mean it's uh i don't know it's crazy 722 when we come back what's hot with hannah stay there This is Wake Up Mid-Missouri. Tell your friends you listen to Wake Up Mid-Missouri. Well, we're just a minute late. It's your turn. What's hot, Hannah? (sighs) (laughs) You know, yesterday, John... Got to what's hot with Hannah early. Oh boy, thank you, John. Thank you, John. Gotta make me look bad, don't you, buddy? Pretty much. So it is possible. Just saying. I know. I hit it once so far this last month. Yeah, once or twice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm working on it. It's a work in progress. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. It's it's a work in progress. That's all right. (laughs) Gold star for trying. Okay. Uh, We are going. Uh, way back in time yep. for today's story, mm-hmm. back to 1908, you know, the early 1900s, and that is when Miss Edith Cesarelli, I'm probably saying that wrong, was born. And what's important about Miss Edith is that she's still alive. 
And she is celebrating her 116th birthday You're this coming kidding. Monday. I'm not kidding. She wow. is the oldest person in the United States. Wow. Um, and they're planning a big parade for her, I guess, in, uh, in her town. Uh, they do this every year, and I think that's really sweet. Um, she was excited to find out that the cake at her party was going to be carrot cake. Wow. But 116. Um, yeah. Oldest person living. Look at this. Yeah. It just, have they 1908. Asked? That is when this woman was born. Can you imagine, like, just think about all the things that she has seen in her lifetime. She lived independently, uh, it says Wikipedia, until she turned 107, suffers from <laughs> dementia, but was able to walk with a walker till 114th birthday. Wow. Where was she born? Willits, California. Yes. Huh. Up north of the Bay Area. And that is where she currently is still living, which is kind of cool. Like, to live in the same town your whole life, especially when your whole life is that long. That's crazy, isn't it? It is. She seems to still be in great spirits. You know, I have always kind of said I'm not sure I want to live to be 100 years old or whatever. Because um, a lot of time your quality of life goes way down, but she seems to be in good spirits still. So I'm looking here at a group called the Gerontology Research Group. <laughs> are, you, are you fascinated medically? Yes. Slow <laughs> and ultimately reverse age-related decline. But I can't see that there's a lot of medical news on here. I was just yesterday asking my wife if we should get our telomere length checked. What's Do you know that? what telomeres are? No. Well, size matters. Okay. okay. And and telomeres are the little like the little the little plastic part in the end of your shoelaces. Those are on the end of your chromosomes, and as they shorten, they they shorten with age. Well, there are more on that. We'll talk about that more. But city council news from Columbia when we come back. Here, this is Mid Missouri's number one rated morning show. Uh, you might want to fact check that. Well, I for one am sure. Welcome back to Wake Up in Missouri. In case you're just joining us, we've been talking about some of the news this morning. I'm really saddened by Toby Keith's death. The guy had a great voice. How many iconic songs? Um, just, just really a legend. And John, you know, I don't, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to particular stars and the things they do. I mean, if a, if a, if a, if a song catches my Oh, thank you, Hannah. I was so lost. I have readers. Hannah brings in my readers. Thank you. I, but, but man, one after another, Toby Keith had hit after hit after hit. And he's dead at age 62. Stomach cancer. He, he was a hit-making machine from the get-go. Uh, Hannah was playing, uh, want to talk about you, want to talk about me, me, me. What a great song. That's a little bit of a life lesson in, in prose and music, isn't it? Wow. Um, should have been a cowboy, man. They yeah. went right out of the box, went to number one and all that. Red yeah, Solo was... Cup. <laughs> there you go. I just remembered Red Cup, but uh, Hannah reminds me it's Red Solo Cup. <laughs> I had to had to laugh about that one a little bit. Well, I wanted to make sure that like Dixie wasn't a sponsor because if I know Solo Dixie, we don't want to you know step on other sponsors' toes. And uh, and then of course uh, 
the the song right after 9-11 we played that right at the top of the show so there's um shaking our fists of you know red white and blue yeah 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 big thing that stood out with me for toby keith all that time was back gosh i don't know how long it was where the dixie chicks went after george w bush and man toby keith came out with guns blazing in no <laughs> uncertain terms and told them to you know what mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right yeah. we're forgetting one of the most important songs yes beer for my horses <laughs> oh, beer for my horses speaking of which there's going to be uh, a Budweiser commercial. Wait a minute. Oop. There's going to be a Budweiser. Randall, Randall. we've talked about turn this. Turn off the ringer. Randall. Turn off the See, now, this is the new. Hannah is like my second mom. I mean, she, now it's Randall. Uh, Budweiser apparently is really pushing back and, and becoming very traditional in the upcoming Super Bowl ad. So uh, it's you can see it online, but that'll be good to see, won't it, Brian? You I'll know, be glad to see that. I grew up in an era where the uh, the ad that did very well um, was, it's called Here Comes the King. Now, Scott Fawn will know what that is. I hope most people do, but Here Comes the King was the traditional, Here Comes the King, Here Comes the Big Number One. It's phenomenal. Jerry Mumphrey was out in the outfield. I remember when they first played mm-hmm. it, so that tells you how long ago it's been, probably. 1978 but that did very well and they also had a song i'd love to see him back that came out in 1970 and it was a a group of singers um when you say bud and it was a it was a female lead singer and then a bunch of people ran out i don't know if you remember a 60 second commercial guy was playing the drum it was incredible when you say bud you've said it all absolutely and the one guy uh looks like jerry seinfeld that comes running out of the uh, the audience but it's extremely well done i prefer the more traditional ads i like those i think those ads would do well today um the one i think they need to bring back the frogs no, no, the frogs are very popular. I tell you, the one that sticks out in my mind that I just I lit I see this. I don't know why I see it in my mind's eye periodically, and that is the Clydesdale after nine eleven taking a knee and mm-hmm. and making tribute to uh, America. You know, I just thought, wow, what a oh, it put sense chills up your spine. Well, and speaking of nine eleven, the iconic photo of President Bush uh-huh. uh, with a firefighter. They're standing kind of on top of a little pile of rubble from yes. 9-11. Uh, that firefighter has passed away either right. yesterday or today. That's he's, when, ni- he's 91. That's when Bush said, uh, I hear you, the world hears you, the nation hears you, and, and the people that did this will hear from us. Yeah. Completely. Hannah's absolutely right. Passed away yesterday. Completely. That was a completely spontaneous. That was yeah. not planned. Here's what happened on that, and I, I read a detailed account last night. Um, it was on a, a, a really, it was a New York uh, station that did the story, something I had never heard before. And uh, this firefighter was retired, rushed to the scene. He was 69. He um, he found a pumper that was covered up, and and just a lot of retired firefighters were there because they lost so many. And he said that they had gotten word that somebody important would be visiting and was standing on top of the fire truck looking out. And Carl Rove, he had heard of an important person was come by. Carl Rove saw him and said, is this safe? Well, Carl Rove, of course, was his political director, <laughs> President Bush. And, uh, and Carl Rove apparently told him, you will introduce the president, then you will step down from the fire truck. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and Beckwith, 91 years old. In the, so anyway, he did introduce him. And then this, this Beckwith was going, was trying to step down. Yeah. And President Bush said, where are you going? Where are you going? Yeah. And he said in front of everybody, well, I was told to, to I need to step down. 
President Bush said, no, 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 you stay up here. So Bush kept him up there. Yeah. Can you imagine? I just, oh, man. I mean, that is just absolute. And, and, you know, he was 69 years old. He uh, And apparently he and President Bush stayed in touch together. Yeah. That was a very powerful moment. His name was Bob Beckwith, and he was a, a career firefighter out of Queens, out of a ladder company there. And had, like Brian said, had just retired. And when he saw what happened, he made yeah. it to ground zero. Absolutely. You know, cancer is in the news this morning yeah, with King Charles having yes. an incidental cancer found during the workup for benign of reportedly prosthetic uh, uh, hypertrophy, enlargement of the prostate, and of course Toby Keith uh, succumbing to stomach cancer. And so many of those firefighters developed problems having worked in that environment and either cancer or autoimmune problems, toxic exposure. Um, and not just at Ground Zero. That's a real. That's a real issue in the fire service. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All the time. And um, John Stewart. Say what you want. Some of our audience may not be fans of his, but he and Bill O'Re- Bill O'Reilly used to go at it a lot. But the one thing I do remember them agreeing on is this very issue that you talked about. All these. And they, uh, Stewart took a picture of all these firefighters. This was after nine eleven. And a couple of years ago, I remember he did a follow-up on one of his shows, and almost none of those firefighters were still alive. No. They they didn't die in the attack, but they died of, of almost all That's of them right. from cancer. Just terrible. Yeah. Tell us what happened at the uh, Columbia City Council last night, Brian Houseworth. A couple things. Number one, I think the sweeping regulations of the short-term rentals like Airbnb and Verbo would probably be the biggest thing last night. We knew it was coming, Randy. They've been working on this since 2018. Essentially, it doesn't take effect now. It's important to note it'll take effect on June the 1st. But in other words, if you come into town and stay at a a Airbnb or a Verbo, you're going to have to pay that 5% lodging tax that hotels pay. So that is there. Betsy Peters recused herself. She was on with um, uh, Mike Murphy and Al Germond on on Sunday, and I, it was it was contentious at times. Um, she um, she she recused herself, and it ended up passing five to one. Don Don Waterman cast the lone no lone vote, no vote. Gary Nolan asked a lot of questions about the LGBTQ issue. That was first read last night. Important. We'll cover it more extensively, and I've certainly had that in the news. That is first read. It's it's a bill. It's more of a resolution type, if you will. Four pages. I link to it on the website. It's a first reading. But I think the, the, the bigger thing for me is the IBM building on Lamone Industrial Drive. IBM was highly, t- I mean, that was a big deal when Bob McDavid and Governor Nixon were here in 2010 to announce that. And it came in with a lot of promise and just didn't end up working out as, as everybody thought. So basically that building is set down the street from us vacant. It's it looks phenomenal. I've seen the pictures inside. It's state of the art. Veterans United mm. is going to purchase that from the city for eight point one million dollars. Eight point one million. Now there is uh seven hundred ten thousand dollars in hail damage to the roof. Mm-hmm. That was the hail damage on Good Friday of last March that destroyed all the cars in our parking lot. Um but but to Carlin Seawood points out it's the largest private employer in Columbia. I have people all the time. Well, you guys need to know the exact numbers. What's important for people of employers and employees somewhere. What you folks out there need to know is if it's a private employer, they self-report those numbers. They're not, they're not public barring something if they're seeking tax credits or whatever. So VU self-reported to Ready because I look at the numbers every year from Columbia Ready. 
about 3,500 employees. Now, that fluctuates a little bit with retirement. By far, that's the largest private employer. Largest uh, public employer would be the university, followed by MU Healthcare. So it is a big deal. Essentially, it allows VU to, to retain here. They started with four employees in 2002, now the largest private employer in Columbia. I think that's a huge deal. Have they said what the purpose of that building will be? Uh, Carlin Seawood is, they're going to talk more about it at the next meeting. They are, it's, this is what he's saying, and I couldn't get much more than this. We are excited to partner with Veterans United to provide a first class facility for their operations, which will enable VU to grow in our community. Uh, end of quote. Now, VU has a, they've got facilities all over town. They've got one on Vandiver. There's actually one right across the street from us in the post office mm-hmm. building. Jefferson they've got, City. They've got the Jeff City facility by the, um, what is that, Big Whiskey's down there, That uh, the, 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 the restaurant. And yep. then you've also got, um, you've got one over on Forum. So they have, but they're not all together. The big campus is the old State Farm building. So this, uh, I'm assuming they're going to keep, and we'll find out more about it when it, when it comes up. They're going to, they're probably going to keep those, but this gives them an opportunity probably to consolidate a little bit. And the equipment there is state of the art. $8.1 million has new roof, new gutters. Uh, if you saw the pictures, it looks incredible. It was state of the art. It was built to IBM specifications. They just left. They just split. Just I mean, left. just, you know, they're, they they were in town several years. It came in with a lot of fanfare, yeah. but just um, did not work out so well. In another bit of tech news, Hannah and I were talking off the air about, thank you, Brian. Thanks, sir. Uh, talking about uh, what some proposal that, that phone companies are going to do away with hardwired lines. <laughs> Didn't they do that a long time ago? No, just uh, me. I have a hardwired line at, at the farm because I've got a an alarm system set up to it but i guess you don't need to do that anymore with all the you can as long as you have internet wi-fi you can monitor everything for your cameras and everything that way no john do you have a hardwired phone nope i don't know long gone got too expensive that was the main part one ringy dingy two ringy dingies guess what (laughs) i found in our move Buried in one of the many totes as I'm unpacking and moving them around. Because you are a pack rat. But I'm also a nostalgia. There's something about nostalgia. We should talk it about says nostalgia. every pack rat ever. <laughs> oh, okay. That okay. That's a topic. Okay. That we're going to talk. didn't call about. you a hoarder, so it's all good. It's not a hoarder. No, it's it's nostalgia. I was I trying mean, to be politically correct. The old rotary phone. I, I dialed my wife for our first date. Back in 1975, I believe, junior in high school, on a rotary phone. So it has it has sentimental meaning. I just think of that. When I look at the rotary phone, I think of my lovely wife and how I was petrified to call her because I was such a loser in high school, such a nerd, and she wasn't. Maybe we'll get her to talk about that someday. No, maybe we won't. Uh, <laughs> Watch what you wish for, doctor. John, what are you going to talk about in a little bit? I would say maybe it was that darn sesame seed bun. <laughs> I always heard that okay, as opposed to frost your buns, which Gary Nolan does on Fridays, we'll talk about sesame buns with John when he comes back. Stay there for more Wake Up Mid-Missouri. you tried it, and I've tried it, my friend. I'll never smoke weed with Willie again.
Texas town. This is Wake Up Mid-Missouri. He fired A doctor and a lawyer walk into a bar and hilarity ensues. This is Wake Up Mid-Missouri. And that would be all. Except for this. New Yorker Charles Olson apparently had an allergic reaction to something in his Big Mac, his lawsuit claims. Said after a few bites, he immediately felt like something wasn't right. His throat began to itch and swell and had to be rushed to a New York hospital where he got treatment. They said, fortunately, it did not need to be intubated. Turns out that he had asked for no cheese because he had a dairy allergy. Oh. The McDonald's in question, on a on a weird note, is owned by Bruce Colley. That's the guy who was accused of breaking up Andrew Cuomo's marriage. Oh, wow. Now you know the rest of that two all-beef patties and special oh, sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder if that's going to go the same way as the I dumped the two hot McDonald's coffee in my lap. <laughs> Repeatedly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You know, do you remember in the reaction to the to the hot coffee in the lamp lawsuit and all the, the fanfare about that, how in many places you couldn't get hot, hot coffee? I mean, people overreacted in some restaurants. I oh, remember yeah. that. That was, yeah, that was the deal. At, at McDonald's, they were turning, people were getting lukewarm coffee and coming back in the place going, come on, guys. I know, come on, what are you talking about here? If you can't manage the coffee, for crying out loud, you know, that's that's on the customer. We seem to be in that kind of a time in our society where we're supposed to protect everyone from themselves. <laughs> it's it's your responsibility. It's my responsibility, Hannah, for me to protect you from yourself. Yeah, I mean, and speaking of McDonald's Big Macs, anyone been to McDonald's recently and seen their new menu item? No. They came out with like a double Big Mac. Uh-oh. Ooh. So everywhere there's a patty on a traditional Big Mac, there's now two. Oh, wow, and it's only $14.82 <laughs> a la carte, right? <laughs> Something like that. But I, I couldn't believe that. You know, we have a friend that lives in australia who was in the states for the first time for our wedding and he really enjoyed our big macs (laughs) so Uh you know we sent it to him we're like you're gonna have to come back to the states and try a double big mac i guess (laughs) does mcdonald's do the same thing with their products that for instance you can buy white castles frozen you know um i think taco bell you can buy some of their stuff frozen does mcdonald's do that i haven't seen it I've never seen it. I haven't either. What other chains do that? White Lots Castle? of them. Taco Bell does it. A- uh, Applebee's, I know, does. You yeah. can find there's a TGI Fridays. They've got a whole line. Okay. Bob Evans. Evans does. Wonder if Golden Corral does it. We'll have to ask Houseworth. <laughs> He'd know. <laughs> can you can you freeze a whole smorgasbord though? I don't know. I don't know if you could do that. Big enough freezer. <laughs> um, yeah, I I I don't know. I'm not much of a fast food guy because. Even though most fast food restaurants have, they'll have a salad or they'll have something that's reasonably calorically priced. You know what I mean? I'm always, I weaken. Man, the, the, the will just weakens when I'm standing there and there's all the really good fattening off the limits by my wife's standard stuff. I can't, it's just, man. Maybe kind of like you and me and Jordan Jay at the, uh, the food drive eating oh, our, yeah. our fancy catfish nuggets. Oh, those were so good. I forget the name of that. 
But, uh, yeah, we had catfish nuggets right out there. Didn't you even eat one off the ground? Or was that Kevin Hilly? Hilly will eat anything off the ground. He he (laughs) called us once when we were talking about the leftover food after the tailgate things, and Brian Hansen keeps ribbing me about that. He's like, hey, there's some stuff left from the Tennessee game back in the fridge. (laughs) And (laughs) Hilly called called up and said, I use the five-minute rule. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. When we come back, a funny comic interlude about tax season. I think you'll get a kick out of that. Yes, it is tax time. And I'd like to know, do you use a tax service? Do you not use a tax service? Does it get your goat? We'll talk about that after the time.